You are listening to the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center's Pastors Scott and Tina Witwam. We're going to be talking about the grace of God again today, and I want to talk about the practical application of grace in the life of a believer. But let's start here in 2 Peter 1-2. This is our foundation scripture that we have used these last few weeks. And it says here in 2 Peter 1-2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, the way I like your grace is multiplied. And I thank you that you multiply your grace, that you give your children peace. Great peace have they who love your law. And I thank you, Father, that as we open this message, this topic of grace, or as we get ready maybe to conclude this topic of grace, I thank you that you bring revelation, the rhema, word of God to us. That it would be revealed inside of us, and no longer would it just be a story, no longer would it just be a topic, but it would be living on the inside of us. And we'll be sure to give you all the glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So a, quick, a little quick review, because we've been discussing uh, the grace of God. We have, seen, we have seen how many have turned the grace of God into a lie. And we anointed, and we... Glory. Hallelujah. We have noted the importance of rightly dividing the word of God. The Bible tells us to rightly divide the word of truth. We have looked at the Apostle John's, Paul's, and also the account of Jesus relating to grace. And it always surprises me when I, when I read the New Testament and you see how grace was administered and how it is administered through the lives of the apostles and Jesus much differently than what people tell you it should be administered. Because people have liked to use grace as an excuse. Any of you ever played Monopoly? You know, in Monopoly, you get this thing called a get-out-of-jail-free card. And many people have used grace as if it's a get-out-of-jail-free card. But in 1 John 1.8, it says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth isn't in us. The good thing is if we sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. See, but we, we've got to do the, the requesting, and then he does the forgiving. Amen? Grace is not an excuse for irresponsibility or sin. And I've heard that taught, too. The, great, the, the, the believers cannot sin. Well, we just read in 1 John 1. That he says if you say that you have, can't sin or don't sin, you're, you're a liar. You made the, the gospel of Christ a liar. He, he, we certainly, as our flesh, has a propensity to want to sin. So Jesus showed us that grace accompanies responsibility. And then we looked at how Paul took head on a boastful group of church leaders of the day. Those who were working in the flesh and claiming it was the Spirit. So to open, I, I thought I would, would read from Luke 6.46 here also, because you hear me say this often, 
In Luke 6, 46, it says, but why do you call me Lord and do not do the things which I tell you to do? Why do you call me Lord and yet you do not do the things that I say? So let's talk about grace from a rubber meets the road for your life perspective. Amen? Grace. In the Greek, it's the word keros. It's the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in, the, in life, including gratitude. It's an acceptable benefit, favor, gift, grace, and liberality. See, when the grace of God is in operation in a person's life, there's conviction. See, people don't like conviction. But when grace operates in your life, there's conviction. There's also acceptance. There's gratitude. There's benefits. There's favor. There's gifts. And there's liberality. See, a modern-day interpretation of this word charis in a believer's life would be the unmerited favor. The unmerited favor of God. See, God favored you over all creation. Well, what do you mean? Well, remember in Genesis, God came to Adam. And he, he says, I can't find anyone that I find comparable to you. So he took Adam, or he took mankind, it says, and he caused a deep sleep. See, God sees you differently than he sees horses, and he sees dogs or cats. You were created in his image. God favored you over all creation. He favored you over all creation, and he favored you by convicting you of sin. Now, see, the Bible says that, that, that the Spirit of God convicts the world of sin. The difference is, is you heeded the conviction. You listened at some point in your life. Now, you may not have done it right off. Some of you are a little slower than others. It may have taken you, some of you, a little while. 40 or 50 or 60 years. Others like... Chris was sharing his testimony yesterday at the men's breakfast. You know, he grew up in a Christian home, so the conviction of God was early in his life. But not all of us were brought up to be able to hear the conviction of God, but he's always speaking. The Holy Spirit's always speaking. Sinners know it. They know it. They know when they do something wrong. They call it you know, they said they're conscious. Well, you know, I knew that was wrong when I did it. But you know, when you're a sinner, you do it again anyway. And then you do it enough that now the Spirit, you don't even hear the Spirit of God anymore speaking to you and convicting you. The favor of God is also accepting you into His fold. See, God had no obligation to accept us. He wasn't obligated. He could have easily, he could have easily says, well, I created Adam and Eve and they blew it. So I'm done with mankind. No, he favored us. He favored us. He has created in, in those who have received a heart of gratitude. It's in there. When you get saved, 
and realize what God has saved you from, you get a heart of gratitude. Now, many times, because you don't pay any attention to God after that, you lose your heart of gratitude. But God has given us, by His favor, gratitude, a heart of gratitude. He gave us the gift of Himself. He gave us a covenant, a covenant of good and not evil. That's favor. He didn't give it to everybody. See, Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world all might be saved. All weren't saved because of what Jesus did. You have to receive the gift of God. You have to be renewed. The Bible transformed. You become a new creature when you receive Christ as your, as your Savior. And then you receive this covenant of good and not evil. I had, I, you know, I got saved when I was 14. I had 14 years of not so good. Right? I couldn't imagine having 50 years of not so good or 60 years of not so good. I had 14 years. My dad left when I was, was a kid. I was glad he left. I got tired of getting whooped, you know, watching him whoop my brother, living in, you know, we were just living, but living in poverty. My mom did all she could. She, she worked. She was on food stamps. You've heard me tell the story before, you know, but when I got saved, I remember I had long hair. It was down on my shoulders. You remember the 70s and 80s, you know, if you didn't have hair down on your shoulders, you weren't cool. Oh, and I had this big comb that I put in my back pocket so I could comb my hair. Oh, man, those were the days, right? At 14, at four, so when I got saved, you know, I came to the altar. There was an altar call, you know, and I, I came, man. I, I, I'd actually got saved the week, the week before, but I got saved through a television ministry. And the next week, my mom goes, well, let's all go to church on Sunday. Well, we were Catholic. We didn't mind going to church. You know, so, so we went to church. But I, when they had an altar call, I was like, yeah, man, I already, and my whole family went to the altar. But when I'm there, we were, it was in a school building, so we were sitting in the school chairs. You know, the desk, there's a desk, and the chair was all one, one thing. And I remember the, 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 the altar there, he said, and even if you've done drugs, I must have looked like a druggie. Hair down on my shoulders, you know. I was probably quite a sight. I should, I should see if my sister can find one of them old pictures and mom or grandma's stuff. I was probably a, a real sight. So, you know, but I, had, I only had 14 years. I couldn't imagine having, but then I learned the covenant. I didn't have to be poor anymore. That was good news to me. I mean, that is good news to a poor man, that he doesn't have to be poor anymore. I was excited. I was excited about it. Favor is the conduit to unlimited increase, to God's unlimited increase. Favor. Now, before we move on, I want to I deal with this unmerited. You know, it's the unmerited favor. So the favor provides all of those, but the unmerited. See, it's not how hard you do or don't do. It's about relationship. See, the unmerited favor is about relationship. 
See, some people say, well, no, it's unmerited. That means I don't have to do anything. I get all of this, and I can do whatever I want. Well, I'd like to ask about 95% of the church, how's that working out for you? I know statistically how it's working out for you. Not so good. So that is obviously, whether you say scientifically, not a good interpretation of unmerited. Remember, I, I read from Luke. Jesus said, do what I told you to do. What does it say in Deuteronomy 28? God said in the Old Covenant, if you will obey, all of these blessings will come upon you. See, we forgot a lot about the obedience part. But when Saul lost his kingdom, what did the Lord say through the prophet? Obedience is better than sacrifice. See, the doing, not doing, trying to impress God with your works, that's the sacrifice. But the obedience is the relationship. Right? My wife doesn't get or not get. I don't get or not get in our relationship because of how good she did or how good I did or how bad she did or how bad I... Man, if it was based on that, we would never have nothing. Right? I don't know about your marriages, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not always doing things the way my wife would like. And she's not always doing things the way I would like. But that's marriage. I mean, literally, that's marriage, right? It's how you polish a stone. You rub it against grit. And you become polished and shiny. But it's that process, that relationship that says, hey, you've been rubbing me the wrong way for 37 years, but I still love you. Right? That, that, that's relationship. So the unmerited favor of God is though you rub God wrong, <laughs> probably a lot, he still says, I still love you. It's your pursuit of me. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his way. Right? For those who diligently seek him. See, it's about relationship. I have to continue to seek my wife. And we both don't admit that we've changed. She'll go, well, you didn't used to like that. I said, oh, yes, I did. And I'll say, well, you didn't used to do it that way. Oh, yes, I did. Right? But we continue to seek. Because that's how relationship is. And that's how it becomes unmerited. It's not based upon the fact that I passed out 100 tracks today. It's not based upon the fact that I gave 70% of my income. It's not based upon the fact that I did all of these great things. No, it's based upon the unmerited nature of my relationship. My wife needs something, it's not because of what she did, it's because of our relationship. If I need something, it's not because of what I did, it's because of our relationship. Amen? So when we talk about the unmerited favor of God, it's about the favor that we garner through relationship. So let's talk about salvation. Because grace is obviously talked about in salvation, we know that uh, in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, 
If you want to go there real quick, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, for by grace you have been saved. Okay, and most people just stop right there. That's the end of it. That's enough of that, that's enough of that verse. By grace have I been saved. It's by grace, so therefore I don't have to do anything else. God did it all. That's not what it says. It says, by grace have you been saved through faith. See, you had to exercise faith. You had to come to the point where you say, Jesus, I'm willing to step off this cliff into your arms, knowing that you will catch me. I'm willing to, to step into your way of doing things and leave my way of doing things behind. I was saved by grace, by God's unmerited favor. He didn't have to favor me, but for relationship's sake, he favored me, and by faith, I trusted in him. I trusted that he is the savior. I trusted that he's the provider. I trusted that he's the life giver. I trusted that he's the healer. I trusted in him. So it was through faith that grace was able to operate because grace operates by faith. There's a spiritual principle right there. And that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Well, see, pastor, it's not by works. Grace works through faith, and I don't have to do anything. It's not by works. Well, go over with me to the book of James, chapter 2, verse 17. James 2, 17. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Oh, well, we've got, we've got a reconciliation issue. No, what we have is we have a translation issue. The Bible wasn't written in English, and the English does a very poor job for us in understanding this. It's not by the works of the flesh, but it's the works in the pursuit of the kingdom. Because faith doesn't operate in the flesh. Right? Faith works in the supernatural realm, in God's realm. There is no flesh. There is no lust in, the, in God's kingdom. There is no sickness in God's kingdom. There is no disease in God's kingdom. There is no poverty. The things of the flesh, there. Why? Because he's a God of faith. And the things of the flesh don't work in that environment. You can be in the flesh trying to do things for God. You know, and you get back to church and go, Woo, I am such a good Christian. I passed out 100 tracks this weekend. God must really love me. What did you do? Oh, you didn't pass out any? God must not like you as much as he likes me. See, that's the works of the flesh. It's all about pride. It's all about self. You can't give enough money to impress God. See, your actions are a response to God's agape with agape. It's because God did the work. He loved you so much. That yet when we were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus was willing to give it all. And we respond to him with that same love. We, we receive him. We give him our life. And it's the same way in life. It's the same way faith works. 
It's, it, it, it's not in operation by the things that we do, but it's the motivation for which we do them. I'm not motivated by trying to impress God. I love Him. I want to tithe. I get excited about it because I know what my covenant promise is. I know that, that God created tithing for me. The Bible says it opens the windows of heaven. Well, that's one window I want open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, the windows of heaven. So I get excited about being able to tithe. I get excited about being able to bring offerings. I get excited about being able to support missions. I mean, think about missions giving. If I lend to the Lord, he will repay. I am lending money to God. And he repays it. I mean, it's supernatural. But I don't do it because I'm trying to impress anybody. I don't get up here, you know, and say, hey, look what I gave. You know, except that I'm giving a, a testimony or trying to make a point. It's none of your business. Now, did you know your giving's my business? Yeah, you saw what Jesus did when they were passing out the buckets. Jesus was standing there watching what everybody gave in. You know, and he was commenting about it. Well, praise the Lord, I don't do that. Not that I don't want to be like Jesus, but you know what? I let him take care of the money, and he does a pretty good job with it. I believe for it. Amen? Amen. So our actions are a response to giving. And God God absolutely does not fail us. I mean, I can look back over my life and think of things that, that we have sown, that my wife and I have sown. We've sown a lot, not just money, but, you know, you get to a point, you, you sow cars, we've given away a house, we've helped people remodel houses, we've, we've made repairs, we've helped people pay their rents. I mean, we, you know, we look back upon it. And then when we see that when we're facing a battle in some area, God supernaturally, you know, one of his suddenly moments, supernaturally, twice I have had investments that I have made and the money was, was gone. But I wasn't losing sleep over it because I invested it in people. When you invest in people, it's really easy because if they lose the money... I wasn't investing in their investment. I was investing in them. I've lost money with people more than one time because I was investing in them. But I've had twice. One, a bankrupt company. I got a phone call. And they said, we've liquidated the estate. We've liquidated the businesses. We liquidated all this. And there's some some money left over. Can we send you a check? And they told me how much they wanted to send. And I said, well, I'd rather have this much. And I gave them a much higher number. And they said, okay. And they put the check in the mail. See, that, did, that, that is the unmerited favor of God in operation in my life. See, favor shall surround me like a shield. So when Pastor Thor gets up and talks about checks in the mail, it's part of my confession. I say, money, come to me now. In Jesus' name. 
I call it in. Somebody said, well, I would never do that. Well, you just stay where you're at. Hallelujah. After salvation, sometimes life seems to deal you with trials, tribulations, problems, and distractions. And many Christians wonder, where is grace? The work of grace, what grace does, will be sensed or seen in greater measure in response to greater demand. Little demand, little grace. Big demand, big grace. The smaller your demand on grace, the smaller the manifestation. And the less grace manifests itself in the life of a believer. The greater the need then for the work of mercy. See, when grace doesn't manifest in your life, you need mercy. See, when, the fa- when favor is not following you, then you need mercy. And there's a big, there's a big difference. For the born-again believer, grace is much more powerful than mercy. And you may ask, why? And the reason is, is grace manifests itself in accordance with your faith, which means you have an active role in how grace is produced in your life. Oh, I just thought it was all on God. Well, that's not what the Bible says. It's not what the Bible says. And we're going to see, and I'm not going to have time this week because I done talked too long already. Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to go just a little bit more, and then I'll, then I'll, then I'll stop, and we'll finish this uh, next week. But mercy relies on the sovereign will of God. See, mercy is different. Mercy is where I get something even though I absolutely deserve the opposite. So, for instance, I deserve death. And he gives me life. That's the mercy of God. And when grace is not operating, you need mercy. The issue with mercy, though, it, re- it relies on the sovereignty of God. Because if he doesn't move sovereignly, then there is no hope. There's no, there's no answer left. But your faith will move grace. Because it puts a demand on it. That's how can you could be saved through faith. Your faith put a demand on the grace that God had, the favor God had on you, and you were able to get saved. And so some people are wondering, well, where's grace at in my life? I don't see grace in this situation. Well, where's your faith at in this situation? All right, so go with me to Acts chapter 4. I want to read verses 18, 19, and 23 real quick. I'm going to give you an example, and then then we'll close. Acts chapter 4, starting in 18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at nor teach in the name of Jesus. Let me just real quick set this up. Here you got Peter and John, and they're going into the temple, and as they come to the temple, there's a guy who's been sitting there. He's been crippled from his birth. Everybody knows it. People have been walking by day by day. Jesus probably even walked by him while Jesus was here. And John and Peter walk by him, and it says, affixing their eyes on him, asked him what he needed. And they, he, and they said, silver and gold don't we have? But in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And he pops up, completely healed, and goes into the temple and starts declaring how God had just healed him. 
And Peter and John are talking about Jesus in the temple. Well, of course, they get arrested. You know, because no good religious leader wants to really see the power of God in operation. They just want to keep things in control. And so they arrest him. And they tell him, hey, look, no more talking about this Jesus. And they said, would it be better for us to listen to you or to listen to God? Yeah, they basically said, hey, well, we think not. We appreciate your opinion. We appreciate your threat. But we think we'll listen to God on this one. Now, you have to understand. Well, let's, let's get to the end of this. 19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. And then verse 23. And being let go, I love that. And being let go, they went their, their, their own companions and report they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them now remember it was the chief priests who plotted to crucify christ remember it was these same priests in acts chapter 9 that gave paul letters so that he could go arrest in prison and even stone and kill christians and yet peter and john said you judge is it better for us to listen to you or to god See, grace was at work. The favor of God was at work in their life. They took a big step of faith and received a big act of grace. And that's the way grace operates. And we're going to finish talking about this in other areas of our life. But for the believer, man, we've got to get serious about this. You wonder why grace isn't working in your life? Look at how you're believing. Look at what you're doing for God. I'm not talking about works. I'm not talking about raking uh, lots or sweeping parking lots just to say, hey, God, now see, now, now I need you to pay my rent because I swept the... No, I'm talking about your relationship with him. That's where unmerited favor happens. It happens in the holy of holies. It happens in the, the quiet areas. It happens in your prayer closet. It happens in, in your times of ministry when you're, when you're sharing about how much you love God and what he's done in your life. He said, well, he hasn't done anything in my life. Well, maybe that's because you haven't done anything. Grace isn't an operation because you're not operating. But we all have the ability as believers God has empowered us, and he has given us grace, as we'll see next week. God has given us grace to take us beyond where we can humanly think. That's why in Ephesians 3.20, it says that he'll do exceedingly, abundantly, above what we can even ask or think, because according to the power that's working in you. For most people, there's no power working in them. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have grace working in their life because their faith has become weak. Their faith has never been exercised. I thank God that I pastor a church where that is not so. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, for it. I thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. If you're watching by live stream, if you're on, I just want to share with you that it all starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
He wants to operate in your life. He wants to make you new. He wants to take all of those burdens that you are carrying, everything that, 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 that has weighed you down and made you think that, that there is no hope, that has encircled you with darkness, he wants to take it from you. And he said, come unto me all who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. It's not a religious ceremony. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And if there's anybody here or if you're watching by live stream or one of the other media, is that where I, I want to pray the, that prayer with you today and give you an opportunity to receive Christ into your heart, to become a new creature, to begin to allow grace to operate inside of your life. So, if you would join with me in congregation, if you would join, just say, Jesus, come into my heart. I believe that you are God, that you died for me, and that you rose again, and that you are Lord, and I receive you as my Savior. Amen. You have been listening to a recording from the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center with senior pastors Scott and Tina Whitwab. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me now. Jesus, according to Romans 10.9, your word says, If I confess you as Lord and Savior and believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead, that you would come into my heart and I would be saved. I now confess and believe that you are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, please contact our office so that we may rejoice together with you. Call Valor Christian Center at 480-545-4321. That's 480-545-4321. Or by email at info at that's info at valorcc.com or by mail to the church address at 3015 East Warner Road, Gilbert, Arizona, 85296.